Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 119 of the In Squash podcast. Uh, hope you're all doing well. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson. And uh, today we have uh, Gilly Lane, the uh, head coach at uh, University of Pennsylvania. And he uh, was also uh, played on their varsity team uh, prolifically, uh, had, some, had four great years there. Played on the professional tour on the PSA, uh, reached uh, I think the top, yeah, reached as high as 44 or 46 in the world. Uh, had some great years as a professional. Um, uh, grew up playing a squash in Philadelphia uh, and watched that city evolve in terms of its squash to what it is today. And we talk about that a fair bit on the podcast. And uh, it was really great chatting with uh, Gilly. He's he's a guy who's very very passionate about what he does. Uh, took to squash, took squash up uh, very seriously at, at uh, a later age. Played as a junior, but uh, took it up seriously. And we talk about how we really got into it uh, uh, today. And also, we talk a fair bit about his uh, his PSA, his playing career, uh, both as a professional and, and as a collegiate athlete, and uh, how he parlayed that into a, a coaching a head coaching position at the University of Pennsylvania coaching the Quakers and um, they, uh, they've gotten off, uh, they've been shot out of the can and they've gotten off to a great start uh, just uh, leading up to the new year. They were undefeated heading into uh, 2020. So uh, we talk about his team, the, the, the major players on that team, uh, including uh, his number one player, Andrew Douglas, uh, who as many of us know, has had a successful foray into the professional ranks and played extremely well on the biggest stages at the World Juniors and also at the World Team Championships for the United States. Uh, so we talk about, uh, about him as a player on his team and what it's like to uh, be coaching against so many greats there in the collegiate ranks, uh, not only uh, legendary uh, coaches who've been there for several years, but all of those uh, world number ones who are now coaching uh, uh, collegiately, including Thierry Lincou, David Palmer, uh, close to getting to number one was Martin Heath. Uh, you've also uh, got several others uh, there. Johnny White, uh, former world number one. Uh, so, uh, and then Gilly Lane, who's been, uh, you know, who's done it all as a U.S. Uh, professional, and uh, he's more than holding his own. And uh, we talk about what it's like to be coaching uh, collegiately and amongst those. Uh, Legends. Uh, of course, I uh, was remiss not to, to mention the legendary coaches there, uh, which we talk about, including uh, Paul Asciante, Mike Way, Heinze Vines, and, and others uh, amongst the coaches in the varsity uh, scene there. So we talk quite a bit about that. And uh, I sh definitely asked uh, Gilly his thoughts on the Tournament of Champions, which is ongoing right now, uh, how he uh, sees things playing out compared to... Uh, how I see it, and uh, we have some, uh, we agree on a few things, and uh, Gilly has uh, some great insight uh, <clears throat> in terms of how he sees things uh, playing out. So, really happy to have Gilly Lane on on episode 119 of the In Squash podcast. On in the background. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, who's, uh, yeah, who's playing there? Uh, I'm I'm a big Liverpool fan. They're playing Everton right now. So, okay. but they're playing they're playing the like the young squad. So. Uh, Okay. Um, excited to be on. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, man. Uh, thanks for coming on. I, I mean, I, I knew I've known you for a while as a player back in the back in the day. One of the the, the sharp uh, American guys on tour, and then uh, you kind of dropped off 
there. I didn't know what, what happened, but I guess you went into coaching and uh, you know, we'll get into talking about that a little bit uh, uh, today. But uh, yeah, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, just before we get into the squash, I wanted to ask you about um, yeah, your New Year's. Happy New Year. Uh, any any uh, crazy New Year's Eve stories you can share with us on air or was it uh, relatively uh, low key this year? It was, uh, it was really low-key uh, after getting back from uh, the world teams down in D.C., um, having been gone for two weekends over, uh, over the Christmas or the holiday you know, time. And, um, I have a, a, a gorgeous wife back at home and, and, a, and a, a, a little pug, so we, we, we stayed at home with family and friends, and um, all of our families, uh, both of our families are local. So um, it was, it was great being home with them. And then, um, we have a bunch of friends that are in the area as well. So it was more just kind of a relaxing time, catching up with family and, um, you know, having some, having a, you know, nice, quiet, um, you know, evening at home and, and, uh, uh enjoying the company of, of family and, and friends. So it was good to recharge the batteries. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that that's what uh, I did as well. I mean, the days of uh, you know the the wild uh, New Year's Eve parties are. Uh, I don't even think I can remember the last uh, wild one that I had, but that that would have been about twenty years ago, I think. Yeah, we have a January is always a crazy time, especially with the college season. It's right when we um, we really pick up our schedule, and it's a kind of a, a mad burst, uh, you know, for eight mm -hmm. weeks. So. Um, to have all your energy is, is definitely uh, necessary. It's, it's necessary. So. Yeah, you got to lead by example, right? 100%. 100%. You, don't want any, you don't want any videos out there going viral. Uh, no, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, how, how were the world teams, by the way? I mean, obviously, it was a great, great event this year. There, were a lot of, there was a lot of intrigue. Uh, the, probably a foregone conclusion that Egypt was going to win it. But uh, uh, but definitely that it, it, there was a bit of a, it was a bit of a close call for them there in the final though. For sure. Hey, um, you know, first off, you know, squash on fire did a tremendous job. The PSA did a tremendous job. World squash federation did an incredible job. Um, you know, squash TV again, I think the production is just getting better and better. So, you know, felt really fortunate to be a part of it, having played in three, um, three, uh, teams, my world teams, myself for, for, for the States. Um, you know, it was when you, when you roll out the world, number one, the world, number three, the world, number four, and the world, number eight, um, you know, I think everyone rolls into the tournament thinking, you know, why does Egypt send a team? <laughs> but I think yeah. it's, you know, the entire week I kind of asked that question to the guys and it's, it's why you play the game and, um, you know, kind of making a joke that they weren't, they weren't asking to lose, but, but they didn't play their best, but they had to really dig deep in order to retain the title. And I think what it shows is that um, how important to some of the professional players playing for your country, like what that means to them and how much better they play when they have that many people behind them and supporting them. I was absolutely in awe of the performance that Wales put on. Uh, Joel Macon was just an absolute beast for his country. Emmer Evans was incredible at the three spot. Um, so they made it an unbelievable run. You know, you have an English team that, you know, for the first time, you don't see Nick Matthew in there. Uh, you know, the old guard of Peter Barker, Adrian Grant, they're not there. Um, Lee Beachill, Peter Nickel, right? You have this new, you have an experienced team with Daryl and James and then the younger generation of Deck and Adrian coming through. And, and you know, I don't think people give Adrian enough credit. I mean, to go 3-1 with the world number one with that kind of pressure was incredible in the final. 
And, um, you know, Daryl Selby, who was the captain of the team, you know, not playing, he was not on the, in the, in the lineup for the final, but there as, you know, supporting his teammates, being a good captain. And I think, you know, we don't get to see that every day from when we watch these superstars on the PSA world tour play. I mean, we see them as individuals. So it's great to see them in that team effort, but there's, you know, I grew up thinking that there was nothing better than representing your country. My mom played on the U S national team for lacrosse and was captain and they won the world cup in, uh, in the early eighties. And, um, that's how I grew up. So, so being able to see that and, um, just, just the fight that these guys had for, for their country was incredible. Uh, absolutely. And there were, I mean, Declan James just, uh, he was shot out of a cannon there in, in the, uh, in that match against squad. He, he had it, he had a chance to win that. And then, uh, uh just lost it in the end. Gawad, as we know, is arguably, uh, I mean, he's fighting for the number one spot right now as we speak. So great uh, performance there. And then to your point, I mean, look at uh, a guy like Gregory Galche, uh, what he, what he did uh, in his match against Willstrip was, uh, was impressive. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, just having him back in the building, I mean, it brought a different energy. You could tell that all the fans that were there, everyone that was watching and on the chat rooms, everything, it was just like, oh, Greg's back, Greg's back. And it, and I remember saying to him, you know, or to Rami back in the day, I said, you know, we need, we need you guys for this sport. You know, they bring a different kind of energy. Yeah the years is just incredible so to have him back it have him back was just absolutely incredible and his performance against james was just no one actually thought he was going to play <laughs> to be honest after, no, well, after well he looked he he didn't look uh i mean he looked okay in the previous matches but it definitely looked like he was favoring uh the knee a little bit early on yeah well when they paid, played spain the day before they played on a pretty cold court and the glass court, there was two glass courts, and the court that they played Spain on was was pretty cold. And um, Iker Pajares played, you know, unbelievable squash. And he's he's going to come through, I, I think, into that top 30 if he's not already there now. But he's just ab- incredibly fit. And on that cold court, it, it took Greg a little bit of time to warm up. And uh, it was a brutal match. And, and no one, when France got through, thought that, you know, I, I don't think Greg's going to play in the semi, you know, I, I could, it'd be hard pressed to see him play in that match and little, you know, of course, I think, you know, he's a big time player that shines big in the, in the, in the, in the bright lights. And, and there he walks out on there and, and wins it in three. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think it was a case of him saying to, uh, I guess, Renan, was it Renan Levine? Was he coaching? Uh, yeah. Was, he, was it a case of him just saying maybe Renan may not have wanted him to play, but he said, look, put me out there. I'm ready. I think Greg just having been out for so long, you know, needed, he, he thrives in that environment. He's one of the best competitors I think we've ever seen in our sport. And, mm. um, and he, he's a gamer, you know, he wants to be in the big moments. And I think when you're out for so long and you have an opportunity uh, to, to be in that situation and, and he's always relished playing, you know, for his country. Mm. He's talked about it a number of times, how he loves having the, you know, the French colors on and, and, you know, he shows a lot of pride in that. So, and he's also, he's also the captain, the senior member of a pretty young team, you know, yeah. besides Machu Castanier. I mean, Gregoire is a little younger and Baptiste is a little younger and he's leading this kind of next generation of French players, which is incredibly strong. They've so, got a lot of talent, don't they? The French. Yeah. I mean, Victor, yeah, Victor Troyan, you, you, you know a lot about that guy, don't you? 
I know him very well. <laughs> I know him very well. I mean, they have, they have, a, they have a, you know, five or six guys that are coming through right now besides those top four. That gives them a really good future. And, um, you know, Greg is – Greg showed why he's, you know, he's one of the legends of the game, you know, by putting in a performance like that. For sure. Now, uh, I'd like to, if you don't mind, if we could uh... – get into to your uh, your squash history your squash backstory Vic Gilly uh, you grew up playing you grew up in uh, Philly uh, big sports town huge sports town uh, big game coming up tomorrow I guess for you uh, the Eagles uh, well you know for in four hours four, four hours oh well, yeah well I'm, I'm over here in the UAE uh, <laughs> okay four hours yeah yeah that's right huge game and, and uh, I'm, I'm hoping they do well but uh, I mean you you uh, grew up in Philly played your Played all your sport growing up, but squash, uh, as uh, as I know, wasn't. It was one of your sports growing up, but not the most uh, uh, important one for you. Uh, so yeah. growing up, what sports uh, were you keen on uh, as a youngster, and where where did squash uh, fit in amongst them? For sure. So um, I grew up playing everything except for squash. So started playing tennis at the age of three on the glass on the grass courts at our club and. Uh, tennis was kind of the big thing and soccer as well, uh, and baseball. And, um, I quit tennis at the age of a, uh, 10 cause I was playing a lot of tournaments and there's no referees in, in junior tennis. And, and there was a lot of cheating going on. And I said to my mom, I said, uh, I said, I've had enough and there's some bad line decisions and everything. So we just played squash. My, my dad had played at our local club. My uncle had played in college at Franklin and Marshall. And my mom is, is one of the best athletes I've ever been around. Um, and I just started playing from basically November to February. And that was, that was kind of what I did in the winter, but on this, but around that I was playing soccer 10 months a year and, and baseball in the spring. And, and I will be perfectly honest. And I've said it in a, a newspaper as well, that I, it was my least favorite sport. Um, and soccer was, was turned into be my love. I loved being a part of a team. Um, I loved knowing that you could have a bad game and still win because your teammates could pick you up. Um, I just love the camaraderie of it. Um, and squash obviously is, is very individual and it can be very lonely and it can be tough and mentally, uh, draining. And, um, but I, I was fortunate to, to get some good results early in my life and, um, you know, and, and have some success there. And, and really when it came time to picking a sport to play in college, and that was always the dream was to play college and, and, you know, you know, you have hopes of playing professional, just like any, any kid, uh, in any sport, but I, I wrecked my knee up senior year of high school and, um, I, I playing soccer and, and there went the soccer dreams because of my knee and I rehabbed pretty, um, pretty hard. And, and there was still a bunch of, squash opportunities and uh worked my way back and and luckily won the nationals that year my senior year it was um it was and uh was very fortunate that um you know during the college process the the university of pennsylvania gave me just this un incredible opportunity to attend this great institution and and they took me as 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 me you know they wanted me for who i was as a person and and what they thought I could do and, and how they thought I could, um, you know, influence, uh, you know, the community as a whole, not just on the squash court, but, you know, the, the, the student body, you know, in general. Yeah. Um, so I'm guessing, uh, I mean, at that point when you, that's when your, your love for, for squash sort of, sort of took off, uh, 
I guess it's no coincidence that it was uh, as a team sport uh, as opposed to an individual sport uh, that you really sort of got a love for, for the game when you, um, when you started playing for Penn. For sure. Um, I, one, I'm, I'm one of those people that want to prove people right and wrong. Um, <laughs> so um, I, I got given this opportunity um, by Craig Thorpe Clark, um, who was my coach in college and is still one of my a close friend and, and mentor today. I still talk to him you know, once, twice a week. And, and he, he treated me, he was like my second dad. Um, he, he, we literally broke down everything and built me back up. And I was, I was just an athlete when I got there and I, he turned me into a squash player. But, you know, the big thing was um, I had a lot of people to, you know, supported me in my uh, quest to go to Penn and, and I wanted to prove them right. I wanted to make their, I wanted to say, you know what, you took this risk on me and and it's going to be worth it and I always had that on my shoulder and then I also had other things on my shoulder basically people saying oh well you'll just be an average player and um, (laughs) that motivated me uh, more than a lot of people know and um, it's something that's always motivated me in my career but but so to be able to put on the red and blue and and represent the school and a place that you know took me for my own the Quakers right yeah 100 percent there you go and, um, and so it meant to me, it was huge. And I, I, I kind of found myself playing number one right away. And, um, I lost a lot of matches. I mean, I, I played Yasser El-Halabi, Will Broadbent, uh, Mikey Ferrer, Ryan Donegan. Um, these were all guys that, uh, Siddhar Suchte, who was one at Harvard, you know, a lot of guys that were much more, they were definitely more of, they were more squash players than I was. I was this athlete kind of and that fueled me to get better and better and better and, and, and work harder and, and kind of work on my craft and, um, you know, kind of progressed year in, year out. And um, Craig and I worked really closely on like how we, how I used my summers to get better and improve. And, and then when it came time to, um, <laughs> when it came time, junior end of junior year, I, you know, well, what do you want to do with your life? And, I told my dad, well, I don't want to get a real job. <laughs> so, uh, so I, I said, what do you think about me going on the pro tour and training the summer like that? And he said, um, and he said, I'll never forget this. He goes, Gil, if you don't do it now, you'll never do it. And I said, are you okay with this? And, and he said, I'm a hundred percent behind you. You can't go back. Mm-hmm. You keep the attributes that you do and, and go for it. And that's, and that's really all I needed um, was the support of my parents and the people that were close to me to say, you know what, you need to go after this and go get it. Right on. Now, I guess with that work ethic and that attitude uh, came with, you know, obviously the hard work, your game evolved and you, you evolved as a player, but uh, not only that uh, you ended up winning what uh, I think is akin to the Heisman uh, trophy of uh, varsity squash, the Skillman award. Uh, am I, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, so winning this award, I guess, what, what uh, first of all, for people who don't know, what is the, uh, the Skillman Award? And um, uh, what did it mean uh, to, to you to, to, uh, to win that? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a big deal. I mean, it's given for sportsmanship, um, integrity, play, um, just kind of an all-around award. And um, it's definitely, I definitely wasn't the best player. I mean, you know, I, I think I finished my senior year fifth or sixth in college squash. And, 
um, you know, I made it to the quarterfinals um, that year in the individuals, and I lost to Siddharth Suchte, who eventually won the tournament. It was actually at Penn. Um, but to be honest, it, were, it, it meant more. It, it, it meant more to me in that I, being recognized for those other things. Um, you know, I was a two-year captain, which meant more to me than any wins and, and being recognized as a leader and, and um, the qualities that as a coach, you know, we're, we're trying to preach every day to our student athletes. You know, that was, that was incredible. And to be recognized by the other coaches, um, you know, it was, was really humbling. And, and to accept that award, and we used to have a big dinner at the end of the year, and, and to accept that award in front of all your peers was you know, not, it was just, it, it was an unbelievable honor and my parents were there and they got to see it. It was, you know, I know I owe a lot of that to my teammates for putting me in a great position. I had the best teammates in the world. And, and for me, I had the, the perfect coach, the coach that I needed at that time. I mean, it was, he was tough on me and uh, when he needed to be, but he was also um, he, very comforting in, in so many ways and it allowed me to grow as an individual. Who, who was your coach again uh, at Penn? Craig, yeah, Craig Thorpe Clark. So he's Australian okay. um, who uh, came from uh, Vassar originally. And he had ties in Philadelphia because he was at Kinwood Club for a little bit and was the U.S. Uh, women's national team coach with Demer Holleran back in the day. And um, he, he is he's one of the smartest guys that I know in the game. And, and but it, you know, it's a really good in-depth conversation. And, and he, it wasn't always just about squash. It was about life as well. And I think, you know, that, that served me well. And, uh, you know, it serves me well today, you know. Sure. Uh, I'm sure that rubbed off on you uh, as a coach as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we were just, we were really lucky when we opened up our brand new center uh, this fall. Um, the uh, coach's office where I sit every day is named after him. So right. I get to see his name every day and, and um you know, for good or for bad, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll laugh at that, but if he hears this, <laughs> but, uh, uh, he knows what I'm saying, but he's just, you know, the fact that I still have the same relationship with him today that I did back then, I think proves why he was so great. Right on. Now, uh, you, you pursued a pro career, as you mentioned, and, uh, probably not, not many people know this, but you read, uh, you reached the, uh, the top 50 and you're only, I think there are only two Americans to do so you yourself and, uh, Todd Harity. Uh, so what, what was the, what was your pro career like? Uh, what, what do you remember most about those days? Cause obviously uh, you improved a lot as a player to reach, uh, you know, to get into the top 50. Uh, but it, it probably would have been uh, some difficult times for you as well. A hundred percent. I think we got can't forget Julian Illingworth. Who's, who's uh, who is most, I think the most successful U.S. player uh, on the softball era of all time because he got to 24. Oh, but it sorry was at about that. that. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. But at that time, it was just kind of uh, – there was three of us on tour before Todd got on. It was uh, Julian, Chris Gordon, and myself. And, and at the time um, – and I spoke about this with, with actually Neil Harvey when I was up in Halifax at the tournament. But, yeah. you know, the U.S. players – My hometown. <laughs> there you go. Best play, one of the best places I've ever been to. It's there you incredible go. There. Um, so it, us players at the time, because, you know, the, the, the idea of in American squash was go to a good college, get a good job. Right. And, um, the idea of playing professionally because there was no, not a lot of money in it was kind of one of those things where, Oh, I'll do it for a year and see how I do. Um, and then if I don't do well, 
uh, go get a go get a job in banking or, or you know real estate or something along those lines where you know you kind of see uh, the profits of, of the education pay off and and in reality that's just not how it works unless unless you're a Ramy Ashore or someone you, you're shooting up the rankings into the top 40 within eight months um, you know you need a year you need a year or two to kind of get into it and and Julian Chris and I had kind of made that made that um, we, we knew that was what was going to happen. So we, we had a plan in place. We had a, um, you know, a couple years plan. And, and so I was at home training in Philly. Um, I met LJ Angema at the village open in September. Uh, I, I was trying to figure out where I was going to base myself. I, I, he gives me a contact who is Tommy Burden, who now works for uh, the PSA world tour. Um, who was former, you know, top, top 20 in the world, Dutch yeah. number one. Um, I emailed him a week later. Um, he emailed me back in an hour. I emailed him back 15 minutes later. And all of a sudden I was booked to go to Holland for three months in January of 2008, right after the tournament of champions. And I was originally only supposed to be there for three months and I ended up staying for three years. Okay. And I was around a group of uh, LJ Angema, uh, now the now retired Cameron Pilly, um, Dylan Bennett, Pietro Sweetman, Bradley Hindle, Steve Nittis. We had this unbelievable group in Holland, and um, and I had an unbelievable. What Tommy created was he created this unbelievable team around me. So I was managed by Tommy. I was I was coached by Lucas Bout, uh, who was nine uh, I think nine time national champion in in Holland. Uh, one of the best guys ever um, uh, was working out with a physical trainer named Floris Minart, um, who now works for professional tennis players. And we had this great system. And what it did was it professionalized everything for me. It professionalized the way in which I trained, the way in which um, I ate, the way in which I prepared. And it, all I had to do was show up and train. And it expedited my growth. Uh, as a player and had it had I had to do that on my own because um, you have to remember at the time there there was no national center for U.S. squash there was no there wasn't a lot of funding um, yeah, everything was in its infancy I mean what what U.S. squash is now it, it, it's it's incredible but back then I guess it's sort, sort of this was laying the groundwork for it maybe for sure and and, and uh, people people ask me all the time aren't you angry that you don't have this, that, or, you know, what you have now. And I said, not really, because it was a different time. I mean, would it have been better? Would it have prolonged my career? Of course. But the way we can look at it in a positive sense is uh, we laid the, the groundwork and foundation for what the future players are going to have. And, um, and so that's, that's important. And I think that's, that's key. And, and there's people who laid the groundwork for me, Jules and, and Chris. And, and, you know, so we have to, we have to go in that order, but, um, you know, that I was able to get some good results early in my career and, um, and, uh, yeah, slowly, but surely kept creeping up to that, that top 50 mark. And I think it was April of 20 of 2009 is when I, when I got to the top 50, I was there for a month and, um, and that's it, <laughs> that was the peak. And then at the same time, it was the beginning um, slowly, <laughs> surely the beginning of the end, little did I know it actually. Right. And that's, um, and, uh, and also a really tough time as well. Tough time as well. So. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, uh, if you think about it, though, as well, you, you brought, I mean, look at Philadelphia squash. I mean, you've got, what is it, Drexel, and you've, they have this new facility, and then, then your new facility at Penn. I mean, back when you were playing, uh, obviously, uh, there were great, you had a great facility, but uh, Philadelphia's just uh, grown exponentially over that period that you talked about. Yeah, we are, we're going to have 39 courts on two blocks, um, you know, in <laughs> really? the city, which is incredible, and, and four, four glass courts, and I mean, it's, it's going to be the epicenter, you know, really of squash in the States and, um, you know, very fortunate and, you know, I love my home. Yeah. Uh, hometown, all of this coming here. It's just a blessing. Yeah. 100%. Well, uh, yeah, it bodes well, I guess, for Philly, uh, and, and for Penn and, and for Drexel and for the junior programs there. Now, now you, uh, you assumed, uh, duties as head coach at uh at Penn in 2016 is that right uh yep yep I'm going into my fourth season as as the head of the, of the men's yeah. team and you've had uh, you've had some great uh you've had four very good years and uh, you've started you've been shot out of a cannon this year undefeated heading into uh uh 2020 is that right yep that's that's we're we're, we're uh <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to say too much on that, but we're, we're everything's we've had a good start for sure. Yeah, and um, well, I'm just think I'm thinking, you know, uh, as a head coach, uh, you're you're still young in the position, but when you first got that gig, um, I'm just wondering, you know, you've got your peers, you've got the generals like uh, Asiante, Talbot, uh, Veens, and, and Way, then you've got the Pro Tour World Champions. Uh, you're running up against guys like um, uh, Martin Heath, uh, Johnny White. Uh, Thierry Lincoup, Dave Palmer, then you've got a U.S. legend like yourself. So uh, what is it like uh, to be sort of butting heads uh, and with, you know, the X's and O's against these dudes uh, on a weekly uh, basis? It must be a lot of fun, but it also must be uh, quite the challenge. Oh, it's, it's, it, it's everything, you know. It's a lot of fun. It's a challenge. You know, I get to learn every season. Um, you know, I mean – John White was my coach uh, when I moved back from Philly in 2010, you know, so in terms of on the pro tour. So I've known him, you know, in that aspect. And then obviously change of roles when you go against him. Did he teach Martin, you, uh, did he teach you the Philadelphia corkscrew front wall, side wall, <laughs> back wall, whatever it's, shot? It's, <laughs> it's interesting. John does not teach. Uh, I don't think he teaches anyone to play like him. Only John White can play like John White. So, um, <laughs> yeah. so uh, he, that he's just, he's special with the, uh, with the racket. Um, yeah, yeah. but you know, I know I've known Martin since I was younger and, um, you know, Paul coached, you know, the U S national teams that I was on and I had a great relationship. I still have a great relationship with him. I talk to him every week. Um, you know, you have the Mike ways who's coached Jonathan power and, yeah. and, and so what I, my first year I, I went full as probably my, I think my worst year, if I was to self um, diagnose my worst year of coaching. Um, I, it was the, the year I made the most mistakes. It was the year I learned a lot um, in reflection. And mm. I think that's for anyone. Um, you know, I think any coach that tries to coach every kid the same way that he wanted to coach he wanted to be coach, excuse me, is, is that's a recipe for disaster. Mm. And I learned that pretty quick. Um, so did you go out there just sort of thinking you were going to do it, 
you know, I, I, I guess with any, any, any uh, rookie coach, I mean, you see it in, in uh, NFL football, half of them got fired uh, uh, this year. Um, I mean, when you go in there, uh, what was your mindset as a, as a first-year coach? Well, I think the mindset was we had a really talented team. It was the team has gotten better and better each year. And it was a better team that um, it was a team that we, we thought we could, you know, we could really do a lot of damage. And, and um, I'm a high energy person and I'm, I feel like I'm a very, you know, passionate about the day to day work that needs to be put in. So I probably pushed them a little bit harder than, than, than need be. Um, mm. And we kind of, at the end of the season, we, we, I wouldn't say we burn out, but we, uh, we just didn't perform like I knew we could and, and we didn't, we didn't reach our full potential, but uh, you know, we learned from that. And then, and the one thing I loved about being around all these, these, these coaches that I've seen is you just, you kind of just witness what they're doing and you have conversations. And I, I, I talk to a lot of people and, and um, ask for a lot of advice. And then I kind of sit down and, and go through it and, um, the, the coolest thing about our job is to see the growth of our student athletes and how they mature and how they adjust over their four years. And that, and for me, that first year was just a true growth and adjustment period. It was a period where, um, I got to see myself change as a coach, kind of be a little calmer, but you know, I wouldn't say that much. You should ask my players, that. but, <laughs> yeah. um, but well, I did, but I did have Andrew Douglas on and he, uh, he had nothing but good things to say. So, well, I mean, and, and, and so, and that gets, you know, somebody like Andrew gets to my point. It's, it's when you, when we have great kids and, and that's what we have at the school, it brings, it brings great kids in each and every year. And, and so when we got Andrew, it, it, you know, someone who, um, was very well known, could have gone anywhere. He picks Penn. Um, it puts us even more on the map, but it also puts a little bit, a bigger, uh, you know, a bigger target on our back as well. Yeah. Um, you know, last year was just unbelievable. Our culture was perfect. Um, the way in which the boys rallied around each other was perfect. We, we were lucky and sometimes to get certain wins and, and we fought out and fought out. You know, we, we had some bad, we had a couple of bad losses and that's okay. Um, but the way in which the boys responded was incredible. And, and I think in my first year, I wouldn't, the reaction or the, let's just say the reaction to a bad loss wouldn't have been the same as it was last year. And I think, uh, and that's the same for the players as well. And they've continued to grow. And I feel extremely blessed to, to be in the position I am, but also to be around players, you know, when that, that we have on the team, like when we have an Andrew Douglas, like couldn't ask anything more of him, right. You know, he makes me better every day as I, as I try to, you know, help him improve, not just for college, but as we start planning his, you know, pro career, but that, you know, when he turns pro after his, after he graduates and, but he pushes me to continuously be better so that I can put everyone in, in, in good positions to succeed on and off the court. And, you know, whether that's in a pro squash career or, or, you know, in the world of finance or anything else that they want to go into. So. Right on. I mean, we all know Andrew's a guy who, uh, who's won on the biggest stage as, uh, as a junior and also uh, even in his young career as a senior player. He's had some big wins in team events and uh, obviously with, uh, with Penn. Uh, but uh, tell us a little bit about some of the other uh, 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 big players on your team right now. Yeah, for sure. So um, we're really fortunate that um, with our depth, I mean, we have um, – 
at number two, uh, Ali Abu Elinan, who last year won the U.S. Junior Open under 19. He was still young enough as a freshman to play in that. Um, he went to the Brooks School in Massachusetts. He was a first-team All-Ivy, first-team All-American selection last year. Uh, James Flynn from, from, from Canada, who, yeah. who was a boys under 19 champion. Um, he's, he's one of – he's been um, – just incredible, incredible addition to our program. Um, obviously, he brings a different style of play than, than Andrew and Ali, but his, um, the way in which he thinks about the game is, is actually not at a collegiate level. I think he thinks about it well beyond the collegiate level. Um, uh, you know, our senior captain this year is David Yakabuchi, who was U.S. junior national team player. And then um, we have, you know, we have three boys from, uh, or excuse me, we have Dylan Huang, who, um, is at the British Junior Open right now, and, and he hopefully will be competing for the U.S. Junior National Team um, at the Gold Coast this summer at the World Juniors. Um, uh, you know, we have a, a, a former semifinals of the British, former quarterfinals of the British from, from India, um, and our team has really just become mm. more global uh, than yeah. it was, let's just say, four or five years ago. Um, and that's a credit to the boys. It's a credit to the work that they put in every day, um, how they interact with each other, but also how they represent the program and what they, what they do on and off the court, which represents the school represents the coaches and, and puts us in a, I think in a, in the light that uh, we want to be put in is that, you know, we're hardworking and um, we don't say too much, but we want to, um, we have high aspirations, but, you know, we just take it one day at a time and we want to continuously improve. And, and we have a lot of guys that uh, want to go on and play pro squash. And, you know, I, we, I feel given my age that I'm able to kind of navigate that situation well, since I'm not too lo lo far removed from the tour, um, mm -hmm. but all, and also know all the guys on the tour now and, and understand how it works. Right on. Yeah. And uh, I was, just, I was, I remember my conversation with uh, Paul uh, Asiante. I was, I think we were talking about, uh, you know, players uh, sort of uh, fighting back a bit with coaches and things like that. And may, maybe recruiting, we were talking about a bit, but he was, he was saying, uh, you know, what, to your point about the global aspect or global uh, makeup of your team, he was saying he had to speak 11 different languages, uh, in order to communicate properly with these guys. Is that uh, uh, kind of similar to what you have to go through, sort of cultural things that are always kind of fun in a way that you can bring those things out and kind of thrive in that situation? Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, when you're a college squash coach, you're, 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 you're more worried about the psychology, like the, the, the mental aspect of, of what your players are going through in a daily, you know, day-to-day basis, right? So, um, if the kids are doing well in school, they're going to play well on the squash court. It's just, you know, because they're not worried about that. If they yeah, are yeah. happy with their, with their, their lives just in general, they're going to be great when they, when they walk into the courts, you know, I know when, when, when my players are having a bad day, just by when they walk into my office, I know when they're, you know, if they're not hitting the ball well in court, I know something else is going on. Um, and that's just the rapport I think. And we're, that we're lucky to have at Penn with, with, with each and every player. I think, you know, Jack Wyant, who's uh, director of squash and women's coach and I, you know, we have this philosophy Well, we have a general message to the, the, the broader group um, as a team, because both of us are very much team oriented people. Um, but at the same time, we have to say it a bunch of different ways. And, and 
you can't handle all the players the same exact way. Um, and, and everyone has triggers that are for, for positive positives and triggers for negatives. And so you got to make sure that you know, everyone's trigger and how to push each person individually and, and what motivates them. Definitely. And, uh, just in terms of, of this season, Gilly, uh, what, what's your bit, how do you see things playing out for the team? If you, uh, best case scenario, uh, I, what we what we like to do is um, we obviously go one match at a time. I know it's yeah. a cliche, but I can tell you we we um, we got bit pretty pretty hard a couple years ago by thinking to uh, ahead. Yeah, um, we have we play the hardest. I think the hardest schedule in the country. Uh, we play everyone. The only team that we're not playing this year in the top fourteen, I believe, or the top twelve is uh, Virginia. And that was because of a, just a scheduling uh, mishap. Um, so we were able to get through um, the first part of our season uh, unscathed, which we, we had mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, our six-three match with Drexel at Drexel was an absolute war. Um, I <laughs> yeah, don't think yeah. I don't I don't think that um, anyone because Drexel's been playing well, hadn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was a. It's it's. It's the we call it the thirty third street rivalry, right? So okay. it's we're two blocks we're two blocks away from each other. Um, you know, I think each team doesn't really want to lose and, and it was at their home courts and they played incredibly well and, and, and we, we did just enough, I think, uh to win. Um and we were we were really lucky to get out of there and um and I I give all credit to John and, and to Dylan for preparing the team the way they did. Um and then so we got out of that and, and we're able to get, uh, you know, wins over GW Navy. And then, and then uh, Rochester is always, we've always had back and forth and yeah. uh, we were able to get them seven, two at home. And then St. Lawrence is, is going through a little bit of a transition. So, um, you know, while we've, we've taken care of the, taking care of business, I don't think we've played anywhere close to what we're capable of. And, and I don't think we've put together yet a, a match where, you know, all nine starters have played to their best of their ability. And, and so, we go through a pretty rough gauntlet right now. We go Harvard, Dartmouth, uh, Trinity, and Princeton the next four matches. There you go. And and so so yeah. so to to answer your question, we'll I'll, I'll know in a month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Exactly. Uh, uh, exactly. That, that's straight from the playbook of all the uh, the great generals. One match at a time. Yeah. yeah. I just it's it's one of those things where if we get ahead of ourselves, it will and something that we never thought was going to happen would happen and and we'll be put in a position that, um, you know, that we'd have to prepare, you know, four to five times harder than, and I, we're going to test ourselves in the next, you know, with three teams that are one, two and, and four. And, and then I always, you know, Hansi always prepares his teams incredibly well. And then, and then we go into four league matches to finish out the year before the nationals. So um, what I want to see is I just want to see improvement from the guys. I want to see how they handle, times of adversity and and when they get put in tough situations i want to see how they they react and 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 if we can improve on that then we'll be we'll be all right we'll be in a good situation all right well it started out well you're you're doing well up until now so keep it going in 2020 uh gilly now now, uh before you go i'd be remiss not to ask uh, your thoughts on the toc coming up grand central next week or uh, in a few days uh on the men's yeah yeah it's exciting stuff uh my pick, uh, I mean, I've got a personal thing. I like Gawad, Kareem Abdul-Gawad. He's, uh, he's been playing really well, and his draw 
looks pretty good. He'll have uh, Mohamed El Sherbagi if he gets through to the semi, and I think uh, he's played him really well of late. But um, I think Ali Farag might have something uh, up his sleeve this time uh, around. He didn't, yeah. hasn't played that well recently, but I think there he had some family issues. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. uh, but I think he might come back uh, and play well. So I've got uh, Gawad and uh, Farag. Uh, I'm not sure how you see things, but uh, just wondering well, what you think. There's a couple, like, I mean, massive matches, especially on the guy's side. Um, it's a couple massive matches on the guy's side and um, early. So Galtier mm. comes back with Mossad first round. Yeah, and that that's huge. And you have Marwan and Tarek first round, and and then you have Paul Cole and, and Diego uh, in the first round or the second round, I should say, uh, that both get by. So you're going to have a lot of good players out pretty early, um, which you know opens up a lot of um, possibilities for certain players. And but going back to Ali, you know, he did look tired at the, at the World Teams, but I think that was more. Um, like you said, he's got a lot of, there's a lot of personal things going on at the end of the year. He had to miss the worlds. Um, and, but knowing how competitive he is, how talented he is type of person he is, he'll be back for the TOC and, and looking to start the new year off. And, and as we know though, uh, Shrabagi did not play the world teams. And so he chose to rest. Mm -hmm. And so since we, they didn't have Hong Kong, um, and he just did not play the world teams, he's had pretty much a month to get back work on his game and i know he's going for that world number one position so i am gonna say um that shobagi is gonna be be tough to beat um and i think i know it's cliche it could be a, a number one against number two but i just think right now um but the the wild cards always is, is paul cole depending on how he feels yeah. physically he can um on any given day he 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 gives a lot of people problems um and you know i'm interested to see that and and well his physicality is uh you know, i mean you can't question that and now he's also got i mean he's obviously developed his skills uh to the point where he's he's very competitive that way as well yeah 100 percent. and and on the women's side it's it's mm. i i think the women's game is It's places it's, um, that the 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 women play. I mean, to watch to watch Renine play, to watch to watch Noor play, to watch Noor El Tayeb. I mean, what what they do with the ball is just yeah, it's, it's on another it's it's on another level. Um, and and you meant you mentioned first and second round matches. I mean, there are several on the women's draw too. In the first second round, I mean, some of these girls unseated could go through quite deep, including yeah. a few American girls. Hundred percent. Well, Amanda, Amanda is, it's, yeah. is the number seven seed, and um, you know, obviously, it'd be great for the tournament if she got if she went deep into the tournament again. And then, you know, you have a Hanya El Hamami who, you know, just nineteen years old, um, is just making waves on the PSA World Tour, and and then, you know, Noron who won the U.S. Open. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, she she's my pick to win this one. I, I saw her play here in Dubai. The the uh, uh, Super Series final, and it was when she was in that period of where she was in a bit of a funk, right? Uh, she lost, but uh, oh my God, she was just crushing the ball, and she's so athletic. Her movement is so—I I just like watching her play. I, I think she's got. Um, she's she's my pick to win to win this one. 
Yeah, she's she's incredible. I mean, and then you know, from an American perspective, you have Sabrina playing yeah. uh, Joey Chan and and Olivia playing Nayla in the first round. So it's great to see that so many of the American girls are in the first round. But the quality is just on another level. I love watching all those matches and so, it's, quite it's, a few European girls as well. I mean, Sarah Jane, Tessney, Joelle, um, Camille. Uh, it just it, it's exciting. It's, it's incredible. And just the depth now is, is unbelievable. And, and it's one of the things that I, I love about commentary or emceeing the U S open is, is, is seeing both, both the men and the women play the levels just is just incredible. They are such great representatives of uh, our sport for the younger generation. Um, and I just, I love the direction that our game is going. It's, it's in a great place right now. Yeah. Couldn't agree more now. Now Gilly, how, how's Liverpool doing there? Oh, we we took we took the tie, which was great. So we beat Everton and Merseyside Derby. So we're we're all good. And um, okay. the Eagles are on, and Eagles are on in three hours. So against okay. the Seahawks, and um, you know, it's a hopefully it'll be a good day in Philly. If 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 the Eagles lose, it will be a, a dark and gloomy day. Uh, Monday. Well, they've they've got their back. I mean, they've they've been playing extremely well. They're they're completely depleted. I mean, they they have no none of their stars playing except the the, the most important one, Carson Wentz. He's been incredible the well, last few weeks that's that's what we like you know we're, we're the, the underdog city and um you know we like to wear our heart on our sleeves and <laughs> i know carson will i know carson will do the same thing he he might not be from philly but uh maybe you know, he'll I'll jog up the 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 stairs there to, to the rocky statue before the game and and uh get a bit of karma I think there's, I think there's going to be a lot of passion down there. So I think he needs to rest. We'll have uh, all the, we'll have all the fans do it instead. So he doesn't ever get hurt or anything. But, well, Gilly, uh, uh, just wanted to say uh, thank, thanks so much for doing this, and uh, you know, all the best with, uh, with, uh, with Penn this season. Uh, all the best with the emceeing stuff uh, uh, that comes up for you, and uh, really great to uh, to have you on the podcast. Appreciate it. Love the podcast. Honored to be on, and uh, and look forward to uh, talking again soon. Well, that's episode 119 in the books. Many thanks to, uh, to Gilly. And again, want to wish uh, him and the Quakers uh, all the best uh, as 2020 kicks off for them. They're undefeated uh, heading into the beginning of the season. And it sounds like, uh, like Gilly's got his, uh, you know, got his head around uh, how to continue going forward and to build on what they've, uh, all the successes that they have had and he's had leading up till now. So all the best to, uh, to those guys. Now, um, just moving on here, just a, a little bit, I wanted to talk uh, quickly about the, the tournament, the champions. The tournament uh, is underway as I uh, record this uh, podcast. Last night, I managed to get to watch uh, Yusuf uh, Solomon and Nicholas Mueller. Uh, Nicholas came up uh, short there in the fourth game. It looked like he was mounting a bit of a comeback, but then a few untimely uh, errors there. And then I also saw the um, the, the Todd Harity uh, Leo Al match, which basically played out the same way uh, as uh, in the end as the the Suleiman Mueller match. I mean, uh, in terms of um, Harity clawing his way back and then uh, just sort of. Uh, giving it away with a few unforced errors there at the end. Leo looked a, a bit tired, so I think if Harity had uh, you know, kept the rallies going and looked for that backhand volley opportunity, uh, a better opportunity than the ones that he threw in there to, uh, uh, for the unforced errors there at the end of the, uh, the fifth, uh, he would have had given himself a better chance. But hey, uh, you know that's the way squash goes, and uh, there were really no other uh, 
major up any there weren't any major upsets I would say the only the only maybe surprise uh, there maybe uh, maybe George Parker's uh, loss I thought you know he might uh, come out playing a little bit better but uh, uh, and also Baptiste Massadi uh, took out Adrian Waller I, I guess those two are more or less on equal footing but uh, Massadi's playing well Waller uh, played extremely well at the world team so that was a bit of a surprise for me but looking forward to uh, the second round matches, I mean, look, we've got uh, Diego Elias and Joel Macon. Uh, we've got uh, Willstrup and Loben should be a good one. Um, and then also you've got uh, Tarek Momin and Marwan El Sherbagi. You know, that's their first match of the tournament, so incredible. And um, uh, also uh, Mustafa Saul playing uh, Mohamed Abulgar should be an interesting match. Uh, of course, Galtier playing Mossad. Uh, will be a great one to watch. Uh, lots of lots of great second round matches here. I know, of, uh, and then of course uh, uh, the Falcon. Uh, I think that's what they call him, Mezan Hisham, up against Ali Farag. So uh, no shortage of quality squash there on the men's side uh, in the second round of that event. And then on the in the women's, uh, again a lot of great squash. They're they're beginning their first round matches, and uh, for me the Canadian interest is there. Uh, Holly Norton's uh, up against Colleen Omar. Uh, they've had some good matches recently, I, I believe, some close ones. And Danielle Latorno's playing Miriam Metwali, and I think they've played a fair bit uh, recently, and that should be uh, interesting. Danielle's always, uh, and, and Holly, both always up for, uh, for a good battle uh, in the first few rounds of these tournaments. Let's see if they can break through and... and uh, <clears throat> Uh, see if they can get uh, run a, a little bit deeper into the draw this time around. Sabrina Sobi and Joey Chan should be an interesting match. Sabrina now playing uh, full time uh, on the tour and uh, should make inroads, I, I would imagine. Um, and she has a, an interesting draw. She'll have Victoria Lust uh, if she wins that in the next round. And then potentially um, S.J. Perry, but Olivia Fleck. Lecter uh, and Nellie Gillis might have something to say about that. So lots of uh, lots of intrigue on the women's side, first and second round matches as well. So uh, tournament of champions bodes well. And I also want to give a shout out to uh, my boy Stephen Gardner. Uh, he's up playing in the uh, five category, I believe. He's got his first round match tonight at the uh, New York Athletic Club, and I'm hoping to watch that one. I, I hope he's got his Facebook Live. Uh, go in there. I might even uh, try to pitch in and uh, do some, to a bit of uh, in-between game coaching. I'm not sure if that's legal or not. I think they've um, outlawed that on the PSA uh, side of things, but uh, uh, perhaps it's still uh, still allowed in the amateur uh, side of things. So good luck to him and, and to everyone playing in that event. Sounds like a wonderful uh, Wonderful occasion for squash. It, all, it, it is every year. So Tournament of Champions, enjoy watching that squash. And also, everybody, please enjoy your squash as well. Uh, thanks for listening. Share with your friends. And uh, please uh, review the, uh, the podcast on whatever app it is that you're using to listen to it. So thanks again, everyone. Enjoy the podcast. We'll be back with more. So stay tuned for those. Take care and all the best. Goodbye now.